friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. going to preach on today is we're going to continue in our series of this idea of encounters. People encountering Jesus and unbelievable things happening. And uh, probably been one of my favorite series that we've done at Skyline. And it's becoming a theme now where it's like every series we do, I'm like, dang, that was, this is a good little series that we stumbled our way into. And, and here we are again. Uh, all that started probably back with uh, the, the Mothers of Jesus series where I was like, man, this is really cool. Uh, and then we, we, we lead up to post-resurrection uh, Jesus. And, and now we're just talking about Jesus meeting people. Um, there's nothing better than that. He's still meeting with us today, right? So if you guys want to open uh, your, your Bibles to John 2, if we had uh, Jesus encounters the paralytic, Jesus encounters the bleeding woman, Jesus encounters, today the title would be Jesus encounters his mom. And actually, I think that we've had it in the past where it's like the bleeding woman encounters Jesus. But I'm very intentional. Jesus encounters his mom in John 2. And I think there's a lot of interesting stuff with that. So I'm actually going to be reading the Pew Bibles. If you pull it up on your phone, that's great. If you brought your Bible, that's great. If you use Pew Bibles, that's great. The Pew Bibles are uh, NIV. I'm going to be reading out of the NLT because I wanted to. <laughs> I was going to be like, well, the Greek, no, no, I just wanted to. I like the NLT, so I'm going to read out of it this morning. Um, so it might be a little different than what you have out there, but it's still good, and it's God's word. The next day, verse 1, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran during the festivities. So Jesus' Jesus's mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not my problem. <laughs> that's so awesome. Not my problem, mom. Uh, Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew. I love that insert by the NLT. Though of course the servants knew. He called the bridegroom over. A host always saves, oh, a, a host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. 
This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're amazing. Uh, In ordinary moments, you can make them extraordinary. So, Lord, I ask today that you would have uh, an extraordinary outpouring and just a gathering on Sunday, something we do routinely. Would you show up? Would, would your word be understood? Would it land fresh on our hearts? Jesus, we love you. We serve you. What an honor it is to serve you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The Gospel of John has seven accounts of miraculous encounters. Miraculous signs. This is the first one. And I'm like, why, why? So at the end of John, he actually writes, if we were to take track, if we were to keep count of all the things Jesus did, I suppose there wouldn't be enough space in the world to hold all of it. Like, it's like this literary thing of, he did so much that we don't even know about, which is kind of exciting. Like, we're going to see him face to face one day and learn of other things that he did, but, but also having what he's done in our lives, too. Um, but John chooses seven, and out of those seven, he decides to start with this one first, which makes me curious, because why? If this is a miracle that was done mainly in obscurity, most of the people at the wedding were unaware that Jesus had even performed any miracle of any kind. And as it says in the text, it was the first time that Jesus revealed his glory, but my question is, to who? If most of the people at this wedding have zero idea that they even ran out of wine, then who's he revealing his glory to? I think that what John's trying to highlight in this first miraculous sign that that Jesus does is he's wanting to emphasize two things. One is the abundance of God, and two is the faith of Mary. And abundance and faith are centerpieces in this narrative. And when these two things are married together, pun very much intended there, When these things are married together, the result is revelation of his glory. Will sees what I did there. So, let's start with building a case for the abundance of God. In building this case, one doesn't have to like really strain, you don't have to strain yourself to find the abundance of God in scripture. You might not even have to strain yourself if you just think, how has he been abundant towards me? We just practiced uh, Eucharist, uh, coming to the Lord's table. His blood was spilled And it covers all our sin. Not some, all of it. His blood is abundant in its power to cover us, make us new, make us whole. It's common thread throughout Scripture, this idea of abundance. Starting with God's abundance makes sense for two reasons. First, it centers us on God, not ourselves. This is the starting point for the Christian. It always begins with him. Secondly, focusing on who God is builds faith within us, which leads us perfectly into our next section. Uh, But it builds faith within us of who he is and what is possible when we partner with him. So, God's abundance begins the first pages of scripture. God creates a good world that bursts with potential. He creates space, you know, days one through three, he's creating spaces, and then days four through six, he's filling those spaces abundantly with life. And then, if that wasn't enough abundance, he's saying, 
be fruitful and multiply. Become more abundant. Fill these spaces. In Exodus 34, which if anyone was in the Who is God class, you witnessed Chase Dewey get convicted in real time. Uh, I... I'll, I'll mention why in a second. Uh, Yahweh actually reveals himself to Moses, and he says this. I'm going to have to read it out of my Bible because uh, Brooks brought up the point, Exodus you know, 34, 6 through 7. A lot of the times we just read Exodus 34, 6, which talks about him being gracious, compassionate, faithful, abounding in love. And then we leave the part off of like, he'll punish the guilty. I'm guilty of leaving that part out. But this is how God's explaining. This is how God is introducing himself to Moses. So shame on me for not including it in there. I'm going to read it right now. Exodus 34, 6 through 7. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I, lav- I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. Side note, because I got convicted, and I'm including that in there, he lavishes his abundant love for a thousand generations. Yet, he does not let the guilty go unpunished. What I don't think he's saying is, I'm going to curse your kids because of your sin. I think what he's saying right here is, it's good that I punish the guilty. It's good that I punish the guilty because what does sin do? Sin corrupts the very good world that he does. We all have families, which means we all have family sin patterns. The the beauty of Exodus 34 is because of because of his abundant love, we can actually go to him and experience that rather than the curse that we live under. Praise be to God. Am I right? That's a sermon within a sermon right there. It's likely uh, that David was reflecting on Exodus 34, 6, back to the abundance of God, when he wrote Psalm 36, 5 through 9. Uh, he says this, Your unfailing love, O Lord, you can already hear third day singing this. Your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the ocean depths. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humility, uh, humility, all humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. Here it is. You feed them them being us, the children of God, from the abundance of your own house, letting them drink from your river of delights, for you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. The prophets would actually go on to talk about this idea, when they talk about the eschatological reality, when when God would set things right, what would it look like? It would look like deserts turning into fertile, abundant lands. It would look like his spirit being poured out on who? All flesh. Not just some, because he's abundant. And so when he pours out his spirit, it fills everyone, all of us. There's more than enough. Going back to Exodus with the manna, it says that they would take, and some would take much, and some would take little, and everyone would have exactly the right amount that they needed. 
This is the God we're dealing with. He's abundant. When Jesus took on flesh, the abundance of God was made incarnate. The abundance of God was here among us. Like the 5,000 men, I have you, the 5,000 men, so there's more, who ate and had their fill, leaving behind baskets full of bread, we now feast on the bread of life. John elaborates on this on, uh, in John 6, where he recounts Jesus saying this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. When we come to Jesus, the abundance of God in the flesh, it's not come to me, have your fill, and then, you know, just try to make sure that lasts for the rest of your life. You'll never hunger again. When you taste and see the Lord's good, you'll never hunger again. At least we won't hunger for the wrong things. If anything, we'll hunger more for him. And what does that mean? We get to go back to him for more, to have our fill. He also tells us, seek first the, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He's not a God who's saying, you, ha- you can only have the spiritual things. The, the things of your heart, he knows. And he's an abundant father who wants to lavish us with his unfailing love. I don't want to get this twisted with the name it, claim it. But I also don't want to neglect who God is. He's abundant. He's worked abundantly in my life in a variety of ways. And he's responded in ways where I've just been like, I need this. And he's like, yeah, I know, here you go. And here's way more than you ever thought I would provide. So here's the thing, and here's more. That's who he is. That's who he is, guys. And finally, uh, Jesus and the other authors of the New Testament speak of this time to come where all things will finally be made new and set right. And oftentimes, Jesus would speak about this parabolically, comparing it to a wedding banquet of all things. He's comparing this to a wedding. In this, we get a glimpse of where we are going. And the way it is described is a celebration. Much like the celebration Jesus finds himself in in John 2. Revelation 21.17 says this, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears this say, Come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life come. He's an abundant God who's inviting us into experiencing His abundance. Do you get the theme? And we are his bride, and we exist in perfect unity with our bridegroom until his return by the power of his spirit, which exists in us. And as we wait, we have access to the abundance of where we are going. And the question is, how will we steward it in our day? Christians have access to the abundance of God because they know God. And they know his abundance. How will we steward it? This leads us to the faith of Mary. I'm really struck by Mary's faith in this story because for 30 years, Jesus is in obscurity. And as I'm thinking about Mary, I'm thinking, originally the first thing that the Lord like kind of put on my heart was like this, this wonder that 
pretty likely marries the only person on planet Earth who knows exactly who Jesus is. She has the most intimate relationship you can have with this man, with God in the flesh. She mothered him. She just didn't come out of the womb being like, all right, how can I serve? You know, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. No, like she had to, she had to take care of him. She mothered him. And for 30 years, this, this promise she's having to play over and over in her mind. It says in Luke 2, I believe, that she treasured these things in her heart. The wise men coming and bringing her gifts. These shepherds coming from the fields and being like this multitude. The heavenly host showed up and said that like God, uh, Emmanuel, is among us. Like all this good news. And then 30 years, nothing that we have record of. Now, I believe Jesus was capable of doing things, but we have, no rec- we have no record of it. And so for 30 years, she's been dwelling on this fact in her heart of who Jesus is. And now she finds herself at a wedding of her friend, and they're out of wine. And how Jewish celebrations went, I hand up totally in favor of bringing back the Jewish celebration for wedding feasts. Seriously. So they, it usually would last about a week. Okay? And so at, at, at the beginning of this narrative, it says, like, on the third day. It's likely they're on the third day of the wedding. And they're, they're out of wine. And, like, the worst thing that could happen in this context for the ancient Jewish, like, wedding celebration was to, to not be hospitable enough to, to have enough. To be seen as one who actually lacks in the abundance. We didn't have enough to provide. And, and these are celebrations, so they're inviting like everyone they know. Day three, they're out of wine. It's likely this thing's going to go on for a couple more nights. And the result of that would just be dishonor. It wouldn't be sin. It wouldn't be any of that. It would just be the murmurings around town of, can you believe these people? They didn't have enough wine. And then, and then, of course, you have like the people who are offended of like, we came to your wedding and you didn't have enough wine. For, it's like, all right, guys. But you know who else probably dealt with murmurings her, her entire life? Mary. Mary probably dealt with murmurings her entire life. Imagine trying to tell people that you just randomly got pregnant by God. All right, Mary. Okay. Sure you did. That's a sweetie. Bless your heart. That's what we'd say in Oklahoma. Bless your heart. We know. No, seriously. Like an angel appeared to me and said that I was going to have... No, all right. Okay. You're crazy. She dealt with murmurings on her own character. She still loved that baby boy and treasured treasured what he meant to her and didn't let it affect any of that. And maybe she started to hear murmurings that they're out of wine and it triggered something, this compassion within her. And she goes to the only man she knows can make this thing right. And she says, we're out of wine. And Jesus is like, shut up, mom. What do you want me to do about that? And you know what Mary says? She doesn't even talk to Jesus. She looks to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you to do, and she goes. That's faith. She doesn't come with an agenda. 
She didn't say, hey, Jesus, I need you to do this one thing for me. She says, they're out of line. This isn't even for Mary. This is just pure compassion. And that compassion, I think Jesus recognizes in her. He's like, oh, okay. And so he tells him, fill it up. Fill up this stuff with water. All of this, all of this interaction is tied to one thing, intimacy with the man, Jesus. And what I think this, if we could learn anything from Mary in this, there's just three little simple things. One, Mary was aware of a problem. Are you aware of problems in your life right now? Could be your own problems. It could be problems of somebody else. What are the problems in your life? And she goes to Jesus um, to basically say, help preserve the honor of these people. So you're already getting kind of like a, oh, that's coming up later. I'm going to save that. So Mary is aware of a problem. What does Mary do when she is aware of the problem? Her awareness actually sends her to the only person that can fix the problem, Jesus. And this is really important. As I was thinking about this this week, the Lord put this on my heart. I was like, oh my gosh, she's so right. And then I was convicted yet again. Welcome to conviction of the Lord. So good. People in our day and age are so good at step one of this problem, recognizing the, the issue. People are compassionate. People don't like injustice. I'm speaking broadly here, but follow me. People are compassionate. People, people want to go against injustice. It's, I think it's a part of how we image him even ones who aren't belonging to Christ. Um, they do this thing, but what do they do? They take matters into their own hands and try to accomplish the things in their own power. And what, Mary's, what Mary does in this story right here is she goes straight to the one who is abundant and says, help. One of the most powerful prayers I've prayed this year was, I don't know what to do, help. And guess what he did? He helped in abundant ways. So let's not be the people who, who gather and, and, and listen and, and preach and even tell others about God's abundance. But then when the first little moment of lack pops up in our lives or in the lives of others, we try to solve the problems. Let's be quick to get to Jesus and just say, here's the problem. And he's like, what do you want me to do about it? And you're like, whatever. Help. Lastly, so you have Mary's aware of the problem. She finds the abundant one who can fix the problem. And lastly, she, her encounter, her faith, yields miraculously abundant results. And this is just fun, all right? To anybody in here who's struggling with thinking, if your vision of Jesus, if your vision of the Father is someone who's stoic, and when you mess up, he's like, hmm, Kind of like an old, an old grandfather figure. Like, mm, just grunts at you whenever you mess up. This is who Jesus is. Not my problem is how he starts off. And what it ends with is 907 bottles of wine. That's likely how much wine was produced. 907 bottles of wine. To him just being like, all right, okay, let's do this. His problem-solving 
yields 907 bottles of wine. I don't think you guys are getting how ridiculous that is. That's wasteful. <laughs> These are party favors now. Thanks, Jesus, for the party favors. You get to go home with a bottle of wine. The best wine that these people have ever tasted. 907. That's our God. Nine hundred and seven. You need you need me to support you for two days. Let me give you like I don't know what's nine hundred seven bottles of wine. If you drink a, bo- a, a bottle a day, it's nine hundred and seven days. It's like three years. Come on, it's it's awesome. Jesus is cool. Jesus likes celebrations. And he likes good wine, apparently. Amen. <laughs> Jesus' glory revealed in John 2, going back to that question that I had, that Jesus' glory revealed in John 2 uncovers something interesting. Our awareness of his abundance is not only for our sake, but for the sake of uh, for others. What, Mary, what Mary's encounter with Jesus is, is inherently intercessory. She plays the role of an intercessor. And that leads us into, the band can come back up. It leads us into like some just real practical things that I think we can think about today moving forward. Uh, the first is like let us, let us be the people who are aware of, of lack in our day. Not just in our own lives. And it could be, this doesn't have to be financial lack, material lack. This could be relational. This could be I'm lacking feeling the, the intimacy Intimacy leads, intimacy leads to deeper understanding of who God is, who, what, what his character is. And this is an understanding that's up here. You know, time to do the typical pastor thing. Like, it's not your head, it's your heart. But seriously, encounters with the Lord are experiential. And experiential knowledge is Intimacy. Me knowing everything. I'm not even crying at this point. I just looking at Charlotte. The abundance of God's real. Um, when we experience Him, we grow in deeper intimacy with Him because not only do we know what's possible in Him and with Him. We just get to know him more. I could know everything. I could read a book, and you've heard this example before. This isn't anything novel. I could, another pun, book, novel. Um, I could read a bunch of facts about somebody. I could read a bunch of facts about Matt Klaus. But if I don't have any experience with him, man, I just know a bunch of facts about Matt Klaus. I don't know what moves his heart. like with his kids, how good of a dad he is, how he loves his wife. I don't know that stuff. I can read it and store it away or I can experience it and have that transform me. That's the point. When we encounter Jesus, we're transformed. 
as we grow in intimacy, it's like this cycle. We, we encounter Jesus, which fuels intimacy, or which with, yeah, fuels intimacy, then intimacy leads to faith. Like this encounter produces greater faith in us, which then leads us to go back to him. And it just fuels itself and we continue to expand. And as we continue to expand in faith, we continue to be transformed more into the image of his son. Another, another point is just like the best wines yet to come. I, I, when, when the Lord, the Lord gave me one specific phrase, I want to make sure I say it because I think it's for somebody in here. He does not ration his goodness over your lifetime. Doesn't ration his goodness over your lifetime. You're not meant to live on the wine of 30 years ago of the wine of 10 days ago. You're not even meant to live on yesterday's wine. He's got new wine for you today that he wants you to taste. And I promise you when you taste it, it's the best wine you'll ever have. This idea of daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Yeah, meet our needs. Like, you're abundant to meet our needs. But Lord, what's my portion today? It's good. He'll promise you that. Because he's abundant, he can meet every need in here. What do you need today? But you're not meant to live on yesterday's wine. He's, he is not saying, you tasted that wine, it was great, now coast on that. No chance. In the Psalms where it says, taste and see that the Lord is good, it's an invitation. And I believe it's a daily one. I believe every day we'll wake up and meet, man, this is the best thing I've ever had. Lord, you're so much better than you were yesterday. And you were pretty amazing yesterday, but you're better today. And all of this will culminate finally one day in the consummation between us and our bridegroom. And we'll be at a wedding. And there won't be any, there won't be any lack forever. There won't be any lack. That's where we're heading. And so would the church, would our church be defined today as people who live in light of that reality of abundance? And when we face lack in our lives, when we notice lack in the lives of others, would we be the ones who say, we know where we're going. Lord, bring heaven to earth today in this way, because you're abundant. You want to move. When you face lack what an invitation that you get to experience God in a new way that you won't get to experience when you see him face to face. All those moments when it's said and done, when we're with him forever, there will never be a time where we lack again. So embrace the lack and find yourself at the feet of the one who can meet your needs when there is lack. Lastly, this last point, I'll pray. Jesus' glory was revealed in an ordinary moment in an, in an obscure place. And it was activated by faith. This story can happen anywhere. My prayer as I, as I prepped for this was that everyone in here, that Skyline Church, when we leave, there would be hundreds of, 
of Canna moments each day. There'd be hundreds, not just over the course of the lifetime of this church. Tomorrow, Lord, would there be hundreds of Canna moments each day where we notice lack, we come to you, and you meet the need. And how good is it that it might be for somebody else who has no idea that we even went to God on their behalf? They don't need to know. But there are hundreds and hundreds of these moments that God is wanting to do. God is not just a God of the supernatural. What I mean by that is he wants to work in ordinary, boring, mundane moments of our day. Will we be the ones to find him? Will he find faith when he comes to the earth? Well, he's with us. He's in us. So let us be found at his feet when we're faced with lack or when we notice the lack of others. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are abundant. Holy Spirit, thank you for faith. Thank you for the faith of Mary. Thank you that in that faith, we can grow in intimacy with you. We can know you deeper each day. That we're not meant to exist on what yesterday, what you had for us yesterday, Jesus. You have something new for us today open our eyes to see it. And Lord, when we're faced with difficulties, with hardships, with lack, would we be the people who don't uh, groan and mumble against you, but would we be like, I get to find myself at Jesus' feet and trust that he'll do good work, abundantly good work. There's no one like you. No one. And it's in your name we pray this. As we do every uh, Sunday, altars are open if you want to find yourself at his feet. And we're going to have people, our prayer team down here as well, if you need prayed over. Um, He'll do exceedingly more than you could ever imagine. I can promise you that. And he's faithful to that promise. Let's worship.